Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to, head to see which one does it better. And welcome to Indiana Mania, as we cover all four indie movies on this week's episodes in the Red Corner. It's where it all began, as we relive the childhood terror of melting Nazis and discuss the rather more terrifying story behind Indian Marion's relationship. From 1981, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. For nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. The Lost Ark. While in the blue corner, following Raiders, we go even further back in time in Indy's world for the prequel that sees everyone's favourite whip enthusiast living the thug life. Well, the thuggy life from 1984. It's Temple of Doom. If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. From Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Indiana Jones. And the Temple of Doom. Let the Indiana mania begin. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Putters. I was a child. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Let me just tell you right now, I'm very excited about this, but so excited. We're just going to close that curtain. So you tell me about your <laughs> life. It bothers me that there's a little a little slat of light coming in. Carry on. I mean, we could have done it for you. It's all right. 
I'm fine. Yeah, good. Very excited to be doing Indiana Jones finally. Been looking forward to this one for a while, Alex. I know you have. I know you have, darling. Uh, I'm very excited as well. This has been a, a real pleasure. I told you that mm. I'm, I'm, I'm covered for the following week as well. I did all four indie movies in one day. Yeah, how did that go? Shouldn't have started drinking during Temple. <laughs> May ridiculous. need to rewatch. It's so incredibly Three counterproductive to do that. <laughs> making work for yourself. Yeah, I know. So are you excited, Victoria? I'm really excited. Um, it's a pleasure to watch these films. Always, mm-hmm. always a pleasure, never a chore. I went to a slight argument with Mark about it because I was like, guess what, we're doing Indiana Jones. And he was like, oh, and I was like, what did you just say? It's not good. Now you know I, I I have a lot of love I for think Mark. Shall we not? I don't get it. Like I was like, "What's your favorite Indiana Jones?" And he went, "None of them," because I'm not a child. And it's like we are not talking to each other. I know. <laughs> wow. Rudeness. Wow. Rude. Do you think he wants to guest for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I've loved these films since I met him, and he knows how much I love them, and he's never said a word, a bad word. So it must be you two they hate. <laughs> There's something going on. I know Mark well enough to know that he does not hate these films. So yeah. there is something else at play here. So I was like, who are you? <laughs> something else at play. Uh, so next week, obviously this week, Raiders versus Temple. Next week, it's Last Crusade. And yes, we are doing Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It is included in this. I know a lot of people on Twitter, we're at ClashPod on Twitter, have been saying there's three indie movies, three of them. That's it. <sighs> Why would you not want us to talk about that film? Mm. It's, in, it's interesting to discuss, even yep. if you don't sure. like it. Yeah. But only then, after we have covered all four movies, will we have the verdict and decide once and for all which is the greatest Indiana Jones movie of all time. That's a big statement we're going to be coming out with, but it should be treated as fact. <laughs> we're going to carve it into a tablet and we're going to smash that tablet into loads of pieces and put it in an ark. Not the one of the Covenant, because you can't find it, but another ark. <laughs> Very good ark. Looked everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of starting to sound a bit like Donald Trump then. Very good ark. It's going to be a great <laughs> the ark. The best ark. <laughs> it's just going to be a fantastic ark. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, so I'm sure many of you will have opinions on these films and indeed the final verdict. If you want to join the debate slash argument, do join us on Twitter at ClashPod, also on Instagram at ClashPod. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say I think we can ditch the connection section this week. Mm -hmm. Agreed? Yep. Agreed? Agreed. Right then. Uh, Chris, what did you ask people on Twitter? I asked them for their indie memories, their their favourite Indiana Jones movie and their memories of watching Indiana Jones. And people emailed us, they tweeted us. We got so many lovely messages. Mm. Should we read some out? Definitely. I'll start with uh, Kirsten Young. Hello, Kirsten. Kirsten says, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favourite because it has the best characters and the most memorable scenes for me. Out of all the Indiana Jones movies, Karen Allen is brilliant and was my favourite female lead. The others were a bit annoying, honestly. The chemistry between them and her character drew you in and I was always with her all the way from first scene to Last, I should say, at this stage, we are only doing comments regarding Raiders, so we'll do Temple ones on Thursday. Okay, I've got one from someone called Alex Stackhouse. Although Raiders is the best film objectively, a perfect distillation of what makes the first three great, Last Crusade will always be my favourite as it is the first live-action film I saw at the cinema. So we're doing Raiders comments. This well, is, this is kind of a Raiders comment. I saw Chris put it in the, the, the bulk email. Him. I'm just going to keep reading. I'm just going right. to keep reading. Okay. Um, uh, uh, my mum took me, my older brother, and two of his mates when I was six, and they were 12, to see it. <laughs> Shitty, sticky, oh, that's hard, small town cinema in Cannock in the West Midlands. Best kind of cinema. I love Cannock. <laughs> I used to go there a lot. Really? Yeah. Why? Play hockey in Cannock. 
Did you? Great hockey club, yeah. Mm. What's the cinema like? Is it sticky? <laughs> I don't know. I've had green being in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they sat a couple of rows in front pretending to be cool while I sat next to my mum. Good lad, good for you. Completely enraptured by the events unfolding on the screen in front of me. After the film had ended, my brother did what brothers do and kept scaring the bejesus out of me by reenacting the moment Donovan turns to ashes. I got one from Russell who says, My mum took me to see Raiders around 81. Not many people had video players back then. And if you missed a film at the cinema, you could be waiting years for it to come on TV. Luckily, my local community centre would show stuff not long after it had been at the cinema. I'm not sure how legal that all was. <laughs> uh, a guy who we would call Hippie Guy, he had long hair and an earring, would show up with a projector and show all the latest films. As I was the biggest Han Solo fan, my mum agreed to take me. Uh, the Hippie Guy set up his gear and I watched what I still consider one of the greatest movies. So well done, hippie guy. You remember those, um, what, you weren't allowed to watch the VHSs on? Remember there was uh, the start of the VHS, um, when you had a VHS, it used to say, this isn't for broadcasting, public places, Mm -hmm. public houses, and oil rigs. Yeah. It always said oil rigs. And I was like, I mean, being on an oil rig... You know, you have very few pleasures. Surely they should have gone, <laughs> let them have movies. On the old rig, someone's got to be the grass because obviously it's like a close space. <laughs> <laughs> be like, right, who's ruining this for everyone? <laughs> yeah. Who, what, who's landing a helicopter? It's the anti-piracy people. Someone's grassed. Yeah. Uh, Paul Yates says, I remember being completely captivated by Raiders, the sheer spectacle of it. Even at that young age, I was with Indy every step of the way. The rolling ball chase, escaping the Nazis, the horse chase scene, and my God, that face-melting ending. I still watch this film pretty much every year, and I'm still completely captivated by it. It really is a perfect movie, perfect casting, perfect pacing, perfect action, and perfect music. The only other film I put close to it is Jaws which obviously is another Spielberg masterpiece. Mm, I thought you'd like to read that one. <laughs> I did like that one, yeah. <laughs> I don't agree with it. Jaws is here. I'm holding my hand high. Raiders <laughs> is here. It's slightly lower. <laughs> um, I've got one from Anna Wilsick. 100% Raiders, but after seeing it age 9 slash 10, I was convinced I'd seen an 18 certificate film due to the horrific face melting <laughs> and told all of my schoolmates so. Then we found out it was rated PG at the time and I was mocked for being scared of a PG film. You shouldn't have been mocked. No. Because it was very scary. And scary. Dylan Berry says much the same. Raiders is by far the best because God helps indie melt Nazi faces. Proper R-rated stuff in a family movie. See also ripped out being Heart and Temple, mm. which we will be talking about. Mm, on Thursday. Right, that'll do us for now. So, as I said, on Thursday, I'll prove you can safely exit a plane mid-flight using a dinghy. But today... <laughs> Victoria starts us off and not for the first time she kicks the lid off a holy artefact to see what's inside <laughs> V takes us on a journey grave robbing statutory rapist sorry I can't I thought I could do it but I can't I'm sorry dashing archaeologist Indiana Jones is recruited by army intelligence to recover the Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis can by tricking his ex into selling him a priceless relic she carries in memory of her dead father himself chased to an early grave by the thought of his teenage daughter nobbing the dashing archaeologist Indiana Jones anyway Marion can't sell it because a Nazi tries to burn her a bit and she has to be rescued by Indy who then takes her to Cairo to be harassed by a Nazi monkey and trapped in a basket for ages. But Indy's figured out he needs a big stick for his big medallion and takes all that to a map room to figure out the location of the Ark, pausing to half-rescue Marion, then using her as a human distraction, blowing loads of shit up, chasing the Ark along a cliff edge for ages, then nearly shagging Marion on a boat but falling asleep, so embarrassed for her right now, before watching but not really watching because it will burn your eyes out as the arc is opened and the radio to God melts everything living near to it with ghosts and vapour and whatnot, hang on, before being stored in Hangar 51, setting up the sequel No One Wanted and I Don't Mean Temple of Doom. 
Nice work. Thanks. Nice work. Can't believe I called him a pedo. Yeah. <laughs> Neither can I. Neither can I. First, He's not. First indie show and we're already labelling him a pedo. We yeah. are a bit obsessed with this. We will get onto it. We will get onto it. <laughs> yeah. It feels a bit weird to ask when you first saw it because I just don't remember. I've been watching it my mm. whole life. Mm. I've no idea when I first saw it where I was. I was at home, obviously. But... Yeah. I've been trying to work it out. I, I Really, really trying to work it out whether it was Raiders or Temple I mm. saw first because no doubt Temple was the indie movie of my childhood. It was the one that I definitely recognise most, has the most iconic moments, generates the most memories and nostalgia. But, and here's where I think I've worked it out, I remember watching Temple and finding that his gun isn't in his holster gag funny the first time I saw it. And the only reason I would have found that funny is if I knew the Raiders gag. So therefore, I think... You were a clever child. Raiders. Was first. It was an amazing child, Chris. Absolutely amazing child. It was an amazing. It was a child. very good child. Very great child. Great child. Um, so the first time Raiders. Also, I worked this out. So the first time Raiders was broadcast on TV in the UK was 1984. ITV had it on Christmas Day in 1984. Mm. It got around 20 million viewers. It's still in the top 20 most watched Christmas Day programs of all time. But I don't think I saw it then because I think I'd have literally been too young. I think I was. Mm. When was it? 1984, so I was five, so I don't think I saw it then. No. I, I definitely would have seen it then because I was six and I was mature enough by that point to watch it. That's right, little baby Tilly who doesn't like scary movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this. I think Temple of Doom is probably the first horror movie I saw. Really? It's a horror film. It watching is. It. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, Spielberg yeah. even calls it a yeah, horror yeah. film. Yeah. Anyway, we talk about that on Thursday. Do you know what? Channel 4, just this year, I found out um, they screened it. Because we'll get into this, whether it's a PG or not discussion. Channel 4 screened it in January this year. And they cut the Nazi face melting bit. Wow. It was before yeah. the watershed, but they got so much shit on Twitter from people going, this was on the BBC on Christmas Day before the watershed, and yeah. they put the Nazi melting faces in, and Channel 4 cut it. Wow. It's, how can you have the movie without it? You can't. You can't. I have some history here. I don't know if you would like to look this way, Alex. Dun, 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 dun. This is a T-shirt <laughs> I had made when I was eight years old. It's my face is superimposed it? on Indiana Jones' body, and it says, hey, people change. You had it made when you were eight. Yeah. You what? You rang up the printers. No, this was at a theme park where there were stores that oh. did this, and so my brother got a Jaws T-shirt, and I got this, which I haven't worn since. So, but it does still it, fits me. That's unbelievable. How does it still fit you? That's unnatural. I just didn't grow from the uh, from eight years old. But. You look also, so. Fresh you don't face. look anything like that. Yeah. That's not you. That is me. That's it's eight not, year old me. I didn't not. always have stubble. You look a bit like. Trigger from Only Fools and Horses. You do look like Ferris Bueller. Oh, yeah, he does. That's better. Yeah. So, hey, people change. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I didn't pick the caption. It was just that's what they did. It was. What's the. Is that a line from Raiders? No. no Are I you guess, sure yeah. it's not? I think it's a line from the scene we're going to talk about, which is in Marion's Bar. I I'm sure is, Indiana yeah. Jones at that point <laughs> says, hey, People oh. change as a way of explaining away what he'd done to her. Oh. Wow. What a quote to have on a T-shirt. <laughs> Just some, some child abuse on my T-shirt. Oh, my God. Uh, my other bit of history, though, with Raiders is actually much more recent. So I um, I was told by a film director, he messaged me to tell me about Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, about 20 years ago. And it was this film that these kids made. They completely recreated the movie. Mm. They started doing it in 1982 and they finished in 1989. And they did 
a shot-for-shot recreation of the movie. Um, they set fire to their house when they were doing the Nepal bar scene. They, the, 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 the young guy and the young girl in it, their first kiss was the first kiss on screen in real life. Oh. Um, they, <laughs> taught their do- they taught their dog to do a little salute. So they didn't have a Nazi monkey, they had a Nazi dog. Wow. Excellent. Um, I mean, can you undo that once you've <laughs> shot your movie? And so I got in touch with them and said, have you ever screened this in the UK? They're American. And they said, no. And they said, what happened was... Uh, Spielberg heard about it asked us to come see him they flew us out they met with Spielberg this is my lawyer (laughs) (laughs) well no that's exactly what happened Spielberg said I love this but this is huge copyright infringement Mm -hmm. you cannot go around making money off the back of this because this is our script and our story and our film but if you do want to do screenings of it and give all the money to charity, me and George will absolutely sign that away. Okay. And so that's what they do. So they said, you've, you've got to fly us out to London. Um, we can put it on, but all the money has to go to charity. Okay. And so we did that. We flew them into Leicester Square. Um, we, we put them in a hotel. We did the screening. We made all Indiana Jones food from Temple of Doom. Doesn't look so good now. But we did that for the, for the guests. And we invited, we didn't tell them this, but I got in touch with Paul Freeman who plays Belloc, mm. and said to him, would you like to come to this screening? And he'd never heard of the film. He said, sounds great. I live in France, but I'll come over. I said, I'll pay, I'll pay for your flight. You know, you don't have to pay for anything. And he insisted on paying his own way when he heard it was for charity. And he oh, came wow. and surprised them. We didn't, they didn't know he was going to be there. And so we had this really amazing evening. Uh, obviously, you can't watch this film. Um, but I'll put I'll post the trailer on the Twitter. It is worth seeing just how brilliantly they recreate so much stuff. And it's you know they go they get taller and shorter from scene to scene because of the seven years it was made over. <laughs> you know, and the, and the film quality gets better and worse as as you go through the movie. Should so. have shot it chronologically. <laughs> Should have shot it chronologically. So what charity? What charity does it go to? Is it cure our Nazi dog? <laughs> <laughs> no, whatever charity you want. I can't remember which one we picked, but. Right. That's great. That's amazing. And is it? Have you? So you've obviously seen it. Yeah, yeah. It's really fun. It's really good fun. Cool. That is lovely. That is a lovely story. Well done, Chris. Would you like to know some background to Raiders of the Lost Ark? Bloody would, Victoria. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I actually really would. I can't wait for this because there's a lot of information about this movie out there. Yeah, I've got like a couple of paragraphs at least. (laughs) That's why I picked Temple this week. I was like, less work. Yeah, I thought that. Mm. Is that why you picked it? I'm not going to say that. <laughs> let's not taint the next hour. <laughs> All right, let's not worry. Let's just whiz through it because we mm. want to talk about the film. Of course. Yes. Yeah. All right, so it's the 70s. Guess what? George Lucas, he wants to do a modern day fairy tale couched, as he says, in the vernacular of Saturday matinee cereals. So you can do it in space, like Flash Gordon. Or you can do it about an archaeologist. Um, so you went with space um, for something called Star Wars something. No mm. one's ever heard of that. Um, anyway, later on, he connects with a film director called Phil Kaufman, who has the idea to make the supernatural element that George Lucas wanted in this story to be the Ark of the Covenant. So they talk about that for a few weeks, but Kaufman gets another offer. So he's off. Lucas goes to shoot Star Wars. So then he's doing this as the really famous story. He's hiding on a beach during the opening weekend for Star Wars, which is something that he does. Hawaii, I believe. Yeah, mm. which is a lovely thing to do. Great, obviously. yeah. Um, and he's joined by Steven Spielberg. Now, I saw Spielberg talking about this about six years ago. And I don't know if you... Do you know the stuff about the sandcastles? No. What? So they go there when... Um, I'm sure you're going to say, well, just to get away from Hollywood opening weekend of one of their big films. And so this was the Star Wars trip. They, they do it every time and they would build a huge sandcastle on the beach, Spielberg and Lucas. And if when the tide comes in, if the first wave destroys the sandcastle, that means the film's going to flop. <laughs> uh, because Spielberg said that when they did it for Star Wars... The sandcastle was fine when they did it for 1941. It got destroyed. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're out there. I mean, it must be weird if you're sitting on that beach and you see Spielberg and Lucas building a huge sandcastle <laughs> together. 
I mean, they, I mean, not to get off topic, but they want to just build it. You want to build a sea defence, mm. and that's how you. I mean, you don't just build it. You want to put some rocks in there. You need a moat. I mean, there's way, there's ways. Are you going to tell Steven Spielberg how to build a sandcastle? Yes, I. Well, you wouldn't be we telling don't... Spielberg, would you? He'd be sitting in his director's chair telling people <laughs> how he wants the sandcastle built. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Steven Spielberg said he wanted a James Bond type picture, which I think is interesting because when you get to Temple, I would say that is Indiana Jones full Bond. Yeah. Um, but not in this. Um, so then they hire Lawrence Kasdan to work mm. on the script. Well, there is a really good quote just before you get to that where um, it's Lucas is telling Spielberg about Indiana Jones and the term, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and he's like, da 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 do you want to do it? And Spielberg's like, no, you should direct this. And Lucas, off the back of Star Wars, says the immortal line, I'm retired. If you want it, it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> I do not need to work. <laughs> um, so yeah, they workshop the story um, over a few days. So the thing is, they there is a transcript of these meetings uh, between George Lucas, Steven Spielberg and Lawrence Kasdan. At this point, I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Chris Tilley, because he asked me to at this point. Oh, okay. Uh, we do okay. it now. I don't, yeah, should we wait till we get to that bit in the film? I think we should yeah. wait till we get to that bit in but the film. I, but I, I will say, I've read, have you read the full story conference? It's, I read a bit of it. It's very long. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a commitment. I think it's about 110 pages. But I have read it all and I have got bits and pieces that we can talk about going through. But it's amazing seeing how it develops, seeing how these people's minds work. Mm. Um, and so much stuff they come up with for Raiders ends up getting used in later films. Right. It was all there in 1978 when they sat down and wrote this um it, it's just it's it's really inspiring actually and how it develops over the course of those 3 days to by the end of it they literally have raiders mm. yeah yeah it is amazing it's amazing that they wrote it down although they still i mean sort of now they can't really entirely agree on how indie should best be described like cuz Lawrence Kasdan says uh, indie's the classic anti-hero the idea from the get-go was that he's a fallen from grace archaeologist who's become a grave robber Whereas Harrison Ford says, I always saw him as an academic first and an adventurer second. <laughs> Lucas calls him on the, on this conference an archaeological exorcist. Nice. He says when somebody has a haunted house or a haunted temple and nobody will go near it, he's the one who will go in there and do it. Mm. Um, and they obviously had the outfit all sorted out in the, but you know, Lucas came to the table knowing that it would look like Treasure of Sierra Madre, Humphrey Bogart, and they knew the, the whip was going to be a big thing. The name is interesting mm. because he really wanted Indiana Indiana Smith. Yeah, Spielberg and went no. Spielberg says, uh, "I hate this, but go ahead, tell Lawrence." <laughs> and isn't it true that Indiana is the name of his dog? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big dog. George so, Lucas, big dog. Uh, uh, Chewbacca was based oh, on yeah. how that dog looked, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. The name was named after him. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, trying to find the finance for it. So they did have trouble trying to get money to do it because George Lucas reckoned um, they could do it for about twenty million. Uh, but Steven Spielberg, you know, it's obviously difficult to think of it now. But it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it was that was problematic to have him attached as director uh, because nineteen forty one didn't do very well. And it is quite a cutthroat industry, and people mm. weren't interested. It's mad because nineteen forty one turned a profit. It okay. was just considered awful. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah, he'd, he'd done Jaws and Close Encounters. I would think safe pair of hands. I think Close Encounters had gone over budget as I mean, well, though. they all went over budget mm. and over schedule, but they all turned a profit. Yeah. I, I think mean, it was a case of, like, I think they were kind of quite enjoying it, the studios being able to suddenly take the golden child of Hollywood yeah. and not immediately go, of course, whatever you want, yeah. Mr. Spielberg. 
But and isn't I, it true that because George Lucas wanted to repeat the sort of contract he'd had with Star Wars to get all the licensing oh, yeah. and stuff like that, and so yeah. you're that's you know they want the money, they don't want to give it to anyone else, so that's perceived as two problems then. Yeah, that worked the first time around because no one knew what Star Wars yeah, was exactly. going to be. Yeah. They're not going to give him the <laughs> give him it again. Of no. course, you can have all the merchandising rights. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about casting. Steven Spielberg suggested Harrison Ford, but uh, George Lucas wasn't keen, saying very famously, I don't want him to become my Robert De Niro. <laughs> Scorsese and De Niro, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I read a, a huge list of names. I mm. don't know how much of it is true, but Jack Nicholson, Sam Neill, Nick Nolte, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Don Johnson, David Hasselhoff. I read that somewhere. But the one that I saw was Tom Selleck, and I saw Tom Selleck's screen test with Sean Young. And it really messed me up. <laughs> yeah, it became this punchline that Tom Selleck could have played Indiana Jones, and and that the you know he he couldn't he he had the role, but then Magnum wouldn't let him out of his TV contract. But they yeah. only wouldn't let him out after they found out that Spielberg and Lucas wanted him for Indiana Jones. Yeah. they were about to pass on it. I think there were ten days left before the contract on Magnum PI lapsed. Oh, really? And he was about to be able to do Indiana Jones, and they went, "Sorry, they want you for Indiana Jones, so we're going to go ahead with Magnum." I'm yeah. afraid you make it work. If if the chance that your leading man in your TV show is going to be in the new Spielberg and Lucas film, you just make it work. Mm. Um, yes, because also I, I what I what I say is I like that screen test. He's he's he seems like a it, there's not much of it online, but it seems like he's yeah. a much more darker, a bit more aggressive. Yeah, he's kind of bullying her a bit yeah. more in that scene. I just think he would have been a really good Indiana Jones. He just would have been a different Indiana Jones. But because he became like a joke because of Magnum, which was actually quite a good TV show, yeah. it just became this. It became a punchline in Hollywood, which I don't think. Yeah, fair. I mean the screen test I saw, I totally bought it. I saw, I saw an alternative reality where I was like, that absolutely works. I wonder if because I did read the the early draft of the script and the script, the scene with Marion in the bar is a lot darker than the one that you see on in the finished version. But I don't know which version they were reading I mean, from. he's probably the only guy in Hollywood that's more masculine than Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> there was a weird one that I've never heard mentioned or talked about in the long list of potentials. Um, I found a quote from Karen Allen talking about her screen test uh, for the film and uh, Tim Matheson was mentioned. That's online. You can see, you can see her screen test that. with Tim Matheson, who really looks the part. yeah. He's a good-looking dude. I don't mind him at all for Indiana. In in the story conference, they said Harrison Ford, Paul DeMatt, who'd been the lead in American Graffiti, mm-hmm. um, and Spielberg says Burt Reynolds. Totally. Or Mikhail Baryshnikov, the, the, the dancer-turned-actor. Uh, Peter Coyote was the early favourite as well, who obviously did E.T. with Spielberg straight after. Mm. But... Um, but yeah, Burt Reynolds, man, that would have been so good. He'd have been great. <laughs> you talk about someone as manly as Harrison Ford. Hello, Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yes, he's manly. Hmm? He's manly. <laughs> Except he's wearing a wig, which makes him slightly less manly. <laughs> I resist. This was 1981. Was he wigging yeah. then? All right, fine. Um, but yeah, the, the documentary I saw, Spielberg said, uh, we spent six months searching and then I watched Empire Strikes Back and just went back to the beginning when, again. Yeah. There you go. Although Ford was pretty insistent on a lot of changes. He was like, I do not want this to become Professor Solo. That oh, was okay. his quote about yeah. not wanting Indiana Jones to be in any way similar to Han Solo. Well, he doesn't Which he is. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. It's like, yeah. Well, you got your way, Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for the role of Marion Ravenwood, which went to Karen Allen, Jane Seymour, Deborah Winger, Valerie Bertinelli and Mary Steenbergen were all considered, apparently. And Danny DeVito for Salah, which eventually went to uh, Jonathan Rhys-Davis. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So he, Salah was five foot two in the original script and uh, because they were writing it for Danny DeVito. And I think it's interesting that he obviously went on to play a role 
not the same, but in a similar film in Romancing the Stone. Yeah. So I'm sure that yeah. was that fed into that casting decision. Um, and then the last thing I was just going to mention is that it's known that it was um, extremely heavily storyboarded, which you can tell um, because they, they couldn't waste anything. They wanted to sort of shoot it like quick and dirty. They didn't have as much money as they wanted. And I think when you get to Temple, you can see the differences there in the confidence and maybe having a little bit more budget to mm. mess around with. Um, but before we talk about Temple, we should talk about this film. Is that everything? Should we talk about the film? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, we should. Good I'm to pretty Let's excited about this. This is ready as the lost art. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So, I mean, let's just, I'm going to hop around. I'm not going to necessarily, I think everyone knows the story of Raiders of the Lost Art. So I'll touch on the key points, but I'll probably just move to my, like, right. everybody's good. favorite bits. Okay. As long as we talk about the fact that the Paramount logo turns oh, into God. the mountain <laughs> because it happens at the start of every film. So it needs mentioning because it's fucking cool. Sp- right. Spielberg's idea. Hmm. Uh, sent oh, we Frank- are talking about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sent Frank Marshall. You can hop around in a minute. <laughs> okay, we'll start at the start, then logo things right there. Sent Frank Marshall all around that island on his own to find a mountain that looked like the Paramount Mountain. <laughs> he said that was a shitty day. But a strong start. A <laughs> very strong start. Well, on that theme, the f- the opening minutes, the, and specifically the first 12 minutes, is thought of as a mini movie in itself in terms of how you set up a hero and how spare you are with showing your hero. So let's think about how much he's in shadow, which means that Indiana Jones's profile is especially important. And that's brilliant because it comes back later when he goes to the bar with Marion. All you see is a projection of him on the wall. But because he's been set up mostly in shadow, the minute you see that outline, you know who he is. There's a weird test of celebrity, of fame yeah. that you can do where if you recognise someone from their silhouette alone, it means they're really, really famous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it established every, everything that you love about Indiana Jones. Uh, the whip. He doesn't like snakes. He's got a hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more importantly, the most important <laughs> most thing. Most importantly, he's got a hat. But most importantly, his character points. So he's fallible. He makes mistakes. He's brave. He might not win because he's not Bond, not yet. So from the off, you there's much more jeopardy because he isn't just going to boss everything the way that Bond does. Mm. Uh, Because he makes bad decisions. And really importantly for me, it's all wrapped up beautifully in that first sort of opening sequence by the motif, the theme tune. Like, I cannot overstate the importance of that theme tune to me. (laughs) It's a great theme tune. Mm. Yeah. And and that opening sequence, um, Spielberg says in the story conference that it's it's similar to Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka with that opening scene where he arrives. Um, He he says this scene should get at least four major screams. Um, The audience won't trust anyone after that. They won't trust the film. Yeah. I was reading an interview with uh, the director, Paul Feig, who talks about the importance of the communal experience in a cinema. And it was watching this that uh, convinced him that he wanted to be a director. He went to see this in the opening scene with the boulder and watching an entire audience go, (gasps) as it comes down, Mm -hmm. is the power of direction and the Mm. power of imagery on screen and the power of watching it with other people and having that joint uh, communal experience. And Spielberg comes up with the boulder in the story conference just Mm. off the top of his head while they're talking about this opening scene. Yeah, um, it's just such an immense thing. You mm. take it for granted now, but w- you know what a what a brilliant moment as a kid seeing a boulder chasing <laughs> a man down a corridor and the little stumble he does. You're like, oh, yeah. In the original script, he lost his hat. The boulder smashed his hat up, um, and. You know, I did read a lot of stuff about this, about is that a good idea or a bad idea? Because he then comes face to face with his enemy, Belloc, and he's lost his hat. So when you're watching this now, you'd be like, oh yeah, that would be cool because you love your hat so much. But if you've seen this first time round, you've only had a few minutes to get to know him. So it wouldn't feel as seismic as it would now. Yeah, definitely. Also, at this point, Belloc is the better archaeologist. Whether or not he is thieving the idol from Indy, 
He has bothered to learn. I think the language is Hovitos. So he's bothered to learn it, to be able to talk to the natives and get round them that way. He's still a thief, but that is a kind of very useful bit of preparation that Mm. Belloc has done. Well, yeah, because later on, again, hopping around a little bit, but the idea that that what's good about uh, Belloc is he is the baddie, but we've got another baddie because we've got Nazis. So Belloc has allowed a bit of time to say, well, I'm your mirror. I think, doesn't he say I'm your mirror to Mm. him? But so, you know, I'm I'm the evil side of you kind of thing, but I am more cultured and I am probably a bit better educated and I'm a bit more conniving in the way I go about things. Mm. And you could be me kind of if you tried a bit harder. Um, I really like Belloc. And I think he is an interesting baddie for reasons I will get to. Um, let's talk about uh, Indy and his girls <laughs> because uh, he's a teacher, apparently, um, and his class are besotted with him. And obviously, I mean, I don't know how much, how like emotional you feel about this but the the girl with love you written on her eyelids like mm. I think about that all the time so do yeah. I weirdly yeah. it really <laughs> stuck with me as a kid I was going to do it today but you have to do mirror writing mm. backwards obviously you, and I- you won't have any mirrors in your house <laughs> <laughs> What were you going to write? Love you. Oh. And then surprise you with it. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny. That would have been so much funnier. Oh, that's annoying. I wish I'd done it now. Um, I should have done it. So in the in the original script, the, one of the very first versions, the, the eyelids girl, she's not in it. Um, but he asks Marcus to give him five minutes alone with a student. And it's there. You know, she's besotted with him. Mm. And Marcus comes in and he's like, uh, he said, it's really throwaway. He's like, um, give me four minutes or something. That's all I'll need. Mm. But it's like, yuck. Okay. They, they kind oh of shot that, they've shot that scene. There's a scene where the, the girl is is meeting uh, Jones for their one-on-one meeting. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And it's like, oh. And, and I think in the next scene, back at, back at his house, yes. the idea is that, that there's, a, yeah, there's a woman in the bedroom. She goes upstairs. They're together in the lounge. Lounge? Yeah. And he, she goes upstairs and she's like, I'll see you in a minute. She's going through the bedroom and she's yeah. a young girl. So these are good decisions to remove that stuff. They oh, yes. thought about it. They My wrote it down. God. They shot it and they removed it. So yeah. that's fine. Yeah, that is, that, that's, that's fine. That is also, yeah, really good decision. What on earth were they thinking? Because in the final version, obviously, India is like, oh, that's awkward. Why is she doing that to me? He's yeah. not like, yes. oh, well, hello. As you yeah. want him to be. As you want him yes, to be. Yes, of course you want him to be that. <laughs> yeah. Was it because they were trying to do Bond? Is that what it was? I don't, I, it doesn't read yeah. like that in the script. It just reads like, he's handsome and therefore this is this is usual. Okay. He doesn't seduce her in, in the script. She's just there. Right. <laughs> like, she's being seduced. An offering. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, so the game is afoot. We are off to find the stuff of Raw from Abner Ravenwood. But this is I want to mention the scene with all the exposition. Because, oh, it's great. <laughs> because Chris Dilly, you are yes. such a fan of a chalkboard. I, I can't, but I didn't, I, I didn't twig that they did it before Back to the Future, that someone yep. did an even worse version of it this. It is pretty bad, isn't it? <laughs> you know, now we've had, we've given you 15 minutes of absolute joy. Now here's a 10 minute yeah. lecture. Um, it just kind of washes over me when I watch it, though, because there's so much information being yeah. passed around at that point. Yeah. And it gets re-explained later in the film anyway, a lot of that stuff. But very, very early on, you are setting up the arc as something fucking terrifying. I think the score comes in, there's yeah. a mysterious score, the exposition about the arc and what it is. It's scary. I just From wonder the if there's a way of are... visualising it better than having a man at a chalkboard. I just, I, I also don't think, I mean, it's difficult because you're looking at it with modern eyes. I don't think the audience needs that much. Like, we don't actually need to know because it's it's history so as much as we and That's do. why it's good. That's why I love it, though, because it grounds this in reality. He's not looking for a yeah. ridiculous MacGuffin. He's looking for something that you listen to him talk about, the lost city of Tannis, the Ark, what it meant. Uh, you are like... 
well, this is history. So yeah. this is a real thing. So mm. this is out there and they're just fictionalizing for this movie. And that's what I love. It made me go, this is a thing. And anchored yeah. in reality, uh, not course. not this specific, but we all know that Hitler was obsessed with the occult yeah. and did a lot of this searching and experimentation. So it's it's real. Well, yeah. there, were, there were real people looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Uh, not, you know, conspiracy theorists and that kind of thing. There, there is a, an argument the Ark of the Covenant in real life is buried somewhere in Somalia, which is where it finally made its way to. So this is, even the Ark is grounded in reality. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I think so, because that's where Philip Kaufman... Didn't Philip Kaufman say that his dentist knew about it and that's how he knew about it? Well, if that's the truth, then Listen, that's the truth. If, if his dentist knew, do you know what his I mean? Dentist, his dentist knew where the ark was, which, yeah. is, which is why he wasn't around very long. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're off. Um, we're going to meet Marion. I just So before we get into this, I just want to say, in the original script, the the writing is unreal, like it's it's amazing and it's she hits him before she does anything else in the original script so it says she f- almost floats towards him and then she hits him with a solid right yeah and some of the stuff that the you wouldn't i mean it's for the director to do but some of the writing is this like which you you don't really see on screen in the finished version but it's like she blushes for reasons only she understands she hits him and he falls down and she says get up and get out which is a brilliant line <laughs> and i don't think it's in i didn't yeah i didn't see it is she doing the drinking game in she, no not in this, no because i still drink shots like uh, Marion Ravenwood uh, because of this movie. Mm. If I I took one thing as a child from this movie, it's like, remember to turn your glass upside down after doing a shot. I have in my notes here, Marion playing drinking game like Alex with tequila on a night out. (laughs) Thank you, Marion Ravenwood. Yeah, it's it's not a night out unless one of us has fallen off a chair (laughs) in a puddle. Oh, in the original script, this is really dark, but we're going to get into the, the dialogue exchange they have, but the uh, well, it's not subtext. She says in all these versions, "You ruined my life." But in this very early script, she says she kind of inherited the bar from the man who owned it when he passed away. And she said, she says something like, "I've been working here for years, and I wasn't pouring the drinks, if you know what I mean." And it's like, mm. fuck me. Mm. So when she says to him, "You ruined my life," which she still says now, you get, you kind of get it a little bit more there. So, I mean, I don't know what order you want to do this and whether you want to read out the original transcript, but I mean, I remember watching this scene because we talked about the backstory to this scene and the conversations Lucas and Spielberg had. And I was like, oh, those are crazy conversations, which we're going to read out. But I didn't realise, I haven't watched Raiders in years, I didn't realise how on the nose this scene was. Yeah. The fact that she actually says, I was a child and I was in love. It was wrong and you knew it. Yep. <laughs> and she says, you knew what you were doing and he says, no, sorry, he says you knew what you were doing to yeah. her. Yeah. And then he goes, I can only say I'm sorry so many times. It's pretty fucking incredible that this dialogue is in this scene. It just it just completely goes over your head as a child yes, watching yeah. it. And also, <laughs> I didn't see that there was an age difference between them. No. And there, there is. There's a nine-year age difference between those actors. But uh, for me, at seven years old watching it, I didn't see. They just look like they're the same age to me. Definitely. And to be honest, even watching it as uh, in my teenage years, when I started to understand a bit more what was going on, self-describing yourself as a child is something I do. I mean I do that with up until I'm like 21 I would say I was I'm, I'm not literally a child but I would consider myself I would say in a throwaway way I was a child when I did that so that's how I read it mm. that she was of age but maybe just a bit younger 
Yeah, and that's how I'd like to read it now. But unfortunately, we've got this story conference. I didn't realise you'd, you'd read it, Vicky, because me and Alex are going to perform it now to get your please opinion. Do, but we please. can still get your opinion. Of course. Um, because that's why we make such a big deal of this, because it's kind of strange hearing them talk about it. So, Alex, do you want to be Lucas? Yeah, I'll be Lucas. You be Lucas. Okay. And my first two lines will be, I'll be Lawrence Kasdan, and then the rest of it, I'm going to be Steven Spielberg. Okay. We have to get them. Do I do an accent? <laughs> well, I'm not, but you, ca- you I can't do accents, oh, but yeah, you can. George Lucas. Okay. <laughs> um, we have to get them cemented into a very strong relationship, a bond. I like it if they had already had a relationship at one point, because then you don't have to build it. I was thinking that this old guy could have been his mentor. He could have known this little girl when she was just a kid, had an affair with her and when she was 11. And he was, and he was 42. <laughs> He he hasn't seen her in 12 years. Now she's 22. It's a real strange relationship. (laughs) She'd better be older than 22. (laughs) He's 35 and he knew her 10 years ago when he was 25 and she was only 12. It would be amusing to make her slightly young at the time. And promiscuous. She came on to him. What? (laughs) 15 is right on the edge. I know it's an outrageous idea, but it's interesting. Once she's 16 or 17... It's not interesting anymore. But if she was 15 and he was 25 and they actually had an affair the last time they met and she was madly in love with him and he... She has pictures of him. There would be a picture on the mantle of her, her father and him. She was madly in love with him at the time and he left her because obviously it wouldn't work out. Now she's 25 and she's been living in Nepal since she was 18. It's not only that they like each other. It's a very bizarre thing. It puts a whole new perspective on this whole thing. It gives you lots of stuff to play with between them. Maybe she still likes him. It's something he'd rather forget about and have not come up again. This gives her a lot of ammunition to fight with. In a way, she could say, you've made me this hard. This is a resource (laughs) that you can either mine or not. It's not as blatant as we're talking about. You don't think about it that much. You don't immediately realize how old she was at the time. It would be subtle. She could talk about it. I was jailbait the last time we were together. She can even flaunt it at them. But at the same time, she never says, I was 15 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Even if we don't mention it, when we go to cast apart, we're trying to end up with a woman who's about 23 and a hero who's about 35. You dirty, horrible old men. (laughs) (laughs) It was, Alex was really driving it. Yeah, I mean, it's baffling because the... I mean, it's not baffling, it's actually completely whatever. But the serial element of Indiana Jones is brilliant. The idea, Lawrence Kasdan's idea, because he's fucking brilliant, that they're already known to each other, works for the serial element, something you didn't see. But also, it's, it's just great because it's intrigue straight away and he's a heartbreaker, whatever, and there's a lot of texture. There is no fucking reason whatsoever that she can't just be his age. Like, it makes no sense. It's just creepy. What? How old is George Lucas in these meetings? Like 30-something, 40? It's not even that. It's not even that she needs to be his age. She can be this age and she could have been a kid who idolised him who he walked out on to go on his adventures or whatever. There doesn't yeah. need to be that romantic element. There could have been childhood heartbreak because she was kind of like, Indy's the best guy in the world. I'm a kid. And then he's gone and she resents him for walking out. They don't need to have had a fucking affair. They don't, well, the I, thing is, if they're going to sleep with each other later, I think they kind of do. Because if she thought of him as a sort of father figure, that's a big, that's a mental leap that an audience might find uncomfortable for her to then... It's completely normal, but to reassess that and make that sexual later. I, I think what you do is they are the same age, but he 
walked out on her because he picked an antiquity over her. Yes. Because that that makes sense for his character. Yes. And then maybe he's grown the maturity since. I mean, it's sort of in the air whether he would pick an antiquity over her. And I don't think he does later in this film. Um, But yeah, I, I just think it was just odd looking back on it now. That's the thing. It doesn't affect the film because they did pull back from it and it's not Indiana Jones's fault because he's fictional but it's it's just a bit of trivia I wish I didn't know. Yes. It's fucking pointless Agreed. and creepy. And that's, the, that's, that's absolutely the point because every other scene between them in this movie now having seen that scene is tainted. And now any of our listeners who didn't know that bit of trivia we've spoilt it for them a little bit. Mm. Oh great. <laughs> well good. Yeah well done us. It's, um, um, it's even worse that on top of all that it's like he's, she's like I was a child I was a child and he's like, yeah, also, can I get that bronze medallion? By the way, it's worthless. Yes! <laughs> yes! I can't believe he tricks it, but he does. He's like, it's worthless. Do you want $5,000? <laughs> so is it worthless or not? <laughs> um, now, there's a, like, it's like a Western style shootout in the bar now when the Nazis turn up. And I did find on, on this rewatch, this fight, a little bit lacking, if I'm honest, in energy. Like, Would you have liked to have seen uh, Tot, Ronald Lacey's character, the leather-wearing guy, would you have liked to have seen him, as Steven Spielberg wanted, uh, to have a mechanical arm <laughs> which he could swap out different weapons from the end of, including a machine gun yes. or a flamethrower? Yes, I would. Because Spielberg wanted that and Lucas went... I think you're mixing up your genres, Spielberg. <laughs> but Spielberg's like, we basically did the Terminator before the Terminator and we have drawings to prove it. <laughs> it would work, though, because you just say, oh, the Nazis are all sorts, aren't they? Doing mm-hmm. lots of inventing. He, so... he, Ronald Lacey had given up acting and become an agent. Oh, really? And then he got this role out of the blue because Spielberg saw something in his um, appearance that reminded him of Peter Lorre. Uh, which makes sense. And so this restarted what ended up being a pretty great career. So he stole a role off one of his clients. <laughs> probably. Is, is what happened. Probably. Something's come in, but I just won't tell it. But anymore. no one in the world could play that role better than yes, him. Yes, agreed. Um, just on the subject of um, Marion, uh, Karen Allen says, uh, I had a whole history for the character from the time she was born, what happened to her mother, how long she'd been in Nepal and her romance with Indy when she was 15 or 16. I remember showing it to Stephen who said, that's an entirely different movie. <laughs> Um, so we're off to Cairo and we're going to meet Salah, who's here to do a lot of exposition, actually, mm-hmm. about um, what the Nazis are up to. Um, and then we're going to have a fight in the marketplace and the v- very famous scene, which apparently uh, was improvised, <laughs> um, when Indiana Jones is sort of called upon to have a sword fight and it just appears that he can't be asked, <laughs> So he shoots the guy instead. Mm. Obviously, as a child, that is the funniest thing you've ever seen 100%. in your life. Mm. You've got to feel very sorry for that actor, though, who'd spent weeks preparing yeah. for that fight scene. And there is, you can see bits of it online because they did shoot some of it. The, the joke is there's kind of a, a butcher stall. And so every time Indy ducks out of the way from him, he uses his big sword and he's cutting meat on the butcher's stall. And so, yeah, I just feel sorry for him. His big moment. You say that, though, there's a quote. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Karen Allen or perhaps one of the producers, maybe Frank Marshall. Someone talks about how the guy wasn't actually actually that good and it was a bit worrying how lax he was Mm. in terms of his swordsmanship not that that had anything to do with why they didn't it was because obviously Ford had dysentery at that point but uh, but apparently 
any sword fight that you might have expected to see there wouldn't have been up to scratch. <laughs> I think everyone had dysentery, didn't they? Like everyone. Yes, uh, John Jonathan Rhys Davis. Um, he said he he um shat his pants on camera <laughs> oh, pretty no. much in a scene that was not used in the film, <laughs> but <laughs> an actual sequence that they cut out. But he said, yeah, he said I think I had cholera and um I shit myself. Not Spielberg though. Spielberg. No. Uh, <laughs> do you know why Spielberg didn't have any dysentery? It's because he took Sainsbury's tinned food with him and ate cold tin food out of a can in his hotel room rather than eat any of the local food. So he said, I was fine. I think as a director, he should have given himself dysentery to show like unity with the cast. Because otherwise it looks like a bit like, oh, you and your with your fancy tins, yeah. <laughs> you haven't got dysentery. What would be worse It's that thing is if he'd bought the tins and not told anyone who was buying the tins and then going, oh, I've got some tins. <laughs> you got dysentery. <laughs> um, Marion gets hidden in a basket for a long time. Um, it, there's, there's something I noticed this time, which I'd never noticed before. So Indy thinks she's dead and he says to Sally, Marion's dead. And he's like, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Like, it's really brutal. I, th- I wrote down that I thought that was really good because you don't want another scene there where it's like, what? Oh my God, what yeah. happened? You don't, what, you've seen it as the audience. And so Salah being like, She's what? Yeah, it's just true. slowing it down. It's like he goes, yes, I know. Let's yeah. get on with this now. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. great, something new's happening. Yeah. We're not dwelling on her. She's dead. It seems a bit brutal for this man that's like family and whatever. And But I, I do see what you're saying. Um, we touch base with Belloc here again. Um, but I've you know, spoken before about him being this, this mirror. Um, and he's got the space to be a bit more of a complicated baddie. Funny that Paul Freeman was waiting for Harrison Ford in that scene in the, um, what do you call those places where you have the shisha pipes? Is there a name for them? A shisha bar? Great, a shisha bar. Uh, (laughs) He was sitting there and he'd smoked so much that he felt so sick. He was like, this is my first Hollywood movie and I'm about to throw up (laughs) before I do my first scene. He does look a bit tense. But those great lines you said, he says, I'm a shadowy reflection of you, just need a nudge to push you out. In the light, and I think it's really good that I, I hadn't really focused on that that mirror image thing, and that's obviously why he's so into Marion. Yes, because Indy loves Marion, yeah. and so why wouldn't Bellot love Marion? And I think the the sort of the majesty of the writing is that later on, when she's playing her drinking game thing, so that's a callback with Bellot, mm. and he's like, "Well, you're going to be mine now," and you are thinking, Do "You know what? There are worse things in life, actually. Like it's not cool to be given away as a prize or anything, but if you were going to end up with someone." He, you could do a lot worse than he's very He's very debonair, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, he's got money as well. Because remember, he brings out that drink and he goes, it's a family label. Yeah. And you're like, hello. He's That's some... maybe the point I was sold. I was like, yeah. so you own a what? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a villain. You own a vineyard. Is it, is it vineyard? Is it, is it, gra- is it booze? <laughs> family booze. He's a villain I didn't really appreciate when I was a kid yeah, because you're, you're totes the one that, yeah. that's terrifying. But as, you, as you're older, you're like, this guy has got something. Yeah. And I am really gutted that they kill him at the Me end too. because he's a character that definitely could have recurred and would have been fun to see them go go at each other again yeah, yeah. exactly Nazi monkey great Nazi monkey I'd forgotten all about it really shocked me when yeah. that monkey did that in, in, the, in the story uh, conference it's interesting how that develops because they they, they first suggest poison and a cat or a mongoose eating it first and then uh, Kasdan suggests making a, a monkey a spy and then Spielberg asks if they can put the monkey in a turban and then Kasdan suggests giving him a little backpack <laughs> and then uh, and that he leads the way to where Marin's hiding and then Spielberg um, Spielberg suggests the monkey slaps a cat at one point <laughs> to make it a real villainous monkey 
monkey. monkey yeah. uh, but then he, that gets him to, well, what if it does the Heil Hitler? Um, and do you know who's making those uh, monkey sounds when that monkey's doing... Frank Welker! Frank Welker! Yes! <laughs> uh, if you're a long-time listener, that is obviously uh, Frank Welker of Mortal Kombat, Jibanji, Miles Attacks, Golden Child fame. Uh, another Frank. Frank Marshall says, that was quite a day when Stephen said, Get the monkey to salute. Uh, I said to the animal handler, show me the monkey that's saluting. And he couldn't get it to do it until they put a bit of fruit on the end of a stick. And the monkey sense. was reaching it for really, it. It really does make sense. It does make sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've established the Nazis are digging in the wrong place because handily, the copy of the medallion they have is missing some very important information. So handily. Watching, yeah. Very good. <laughs> Thanks. So watching it again with a more critical eye, I think the power of Indiana Jones as a character is so overwhelming at this point that script-wise, you know what, I'd be like, that's a bit lazy because it's a bit convenient yep. that it just doesn't have this really important bit of information. But you don't care because you're like, I don't, I don't even give a shit about any of this. I just want to see you do something else. There's like, lots of convenient stuff happens for the rest of the movie here. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. They're all It's just MacGuffin after MacGuffin getting us just to the next set piece. But what's really good that Temple of Doom does lack is the fact that you see him doing proper archaeology stuff. He's got a little leather-bound notebook. He's measuring yeah. things. He's yep. writing notes down. You feel like this is authentic. Authentic archaeology. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I will buy that. Yeah, mm. it's, it's true. And it's the period setting and it's very evocative, you know, the Tutankhamun things. And yeah, you, you're just fully into that world. Mm. Um, and I love the moment coming up where Tot has got the medallion like burned into his palm. Mm. That's so awesome. That's why I was making the joke when you went handily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's what that's what that's 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 okay. Yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah. And then the moment he gets, he gets so many good moments where. Marion's trying to best Belloc with her drinking game. It hasn't quite worked. So Tot comes in and he's got like his Nazi torture bag and he gets out like the stick thing. What is that? What's it meant to look like? Nunchuck. Yes. Mm. And then he's like, it's just a travel coat hanger. Yeah. A, that's a brilliant idea. Spielberg was obsessed with that joke. So he tried to get that joke into 1941 with Christopher Lee. I can't remember if it ended up in the <laughs> film or not, but he kept bringing it up. And, and in this meeting, in the story conference, he keeps bringing up wanting to do this coat hanger joke. And the others are like, what not, joke? Not sure. <laughs> Not sure, but it does work. I think eventually Lucas says to him, as long as it's not played for laughs, you can do it. Well, he did it and it did get played for laughs and it did work. It mm. works perfectly. Yeah. Sorry, I've got so excited about this film, I've forgotten to have a short break. Let's have a short break. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Bernie Katz was fun, he was kind. When he walked in, the room just lit up. And there was something magical about this young man that just had a glint in his eye, that didn't give a shit about anything, but loved everything. 
My first impressions were of a huge, vibrant and outgoing personality, all hugs, grins, extravagant language and wild attire. Always in a leopard skin jacket, whirling around like a windmill. No, it's just a character. I don't know if those people exist anymore. They're sort of dying out. Everything's changed. It is a bank holiday weekend in London, the late summer of 2017. The streets around Kentish Town, just north of the city and halfway towards Hampstead Heath, are unusually quiet. That evening, in a small, converted flat, just a 15-minute bus ride from King's Cross Station, Bernie Katz, pocket-sized and long-standing front-of-house manager of London's Groucho Club, is found dead by his landlord. I said to him, what happened? You know, and he said, we are not talking about it. And yes, there have been the rumours. We've all heard. I mean, what did I hear specifically? That he was murdered. His relationship with his father was so toxic. He hated the idea that his son was gay. His right. dad was a proper gangster. Then he came down, there was a car far from. Guy blows his dad's head off. They were all part of the same fetid, seething, self-referential nest of vipers that I think Groucho had become. Was Bernie depressive? I think yes. When alone, a condition he rarely sought, he had demons that flew about his head. I get a call from Bernie and he is in £20,000 worth of debt with the Albanian gangsters in Soho. We all collected and paid the debt. The way that the Albanians operate is very, very peculiar because they did not operate like any other mafia in Europe. I've never been able to establish exactly what happened and why, but whatever it was, it was so wrong. Bernie, who killed the Prince of Soho? Listen now. A Stack Production, available wherever you get your podcasts. So, meanwhile, Indiana Jones is literally torching an ancient biblical site because he's a bit scared of snakes. <laughs> so, he's in the Well of Souls. There are snakes everywhere. Because when you're watching it, the first thing you're like, this is the, the most important site in the world. And he's like... Poof. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, don't listen to Salah. Salah's like, they're asps, very dangerous. The yeah. minute he gets down there, that's a cobra, definitely not an asp. That's true. It's like, yeah. they're still dangerous, but just don't say asps if I'm going to see a cobra, because I know what a cobra looks like. <laughs> I do feel like, though, Kasdan was looking at his copy of The Hero's Journey. Yes. Because let's, you know, let's send into the inmost cave. Where should we go? How about an inmost cave? How about a fucking cave? A, a literal inmost cave. And what should it be filled with? You know, we, we want to... They talk about the ultimate fear. Well, let's put his ultimate fear in there. And uh, what's the object of his quest? Is it down there? Yeah, the object of his quest is yeah. down there. And so it's just literally, I feel like they've copied You're and pasted right, and filled no in the blanks. there's no reason for it to be filled with snakes. No. It's filled with snakes because Indiana Jones doesn't like snakes. No, and it didn't... They had trouble on set as well because those snakes were supposed to be scared of fire, but they liked it because it warmed them up. They were cold down there, so they kept going towards the fire. There's a funny story when they were shooting the Well of Souls thing whereby they had to shut down for a couple of days because while they were shooting Raiders, uh, I think it was Pinewood, uh, no, Elstree, sorry, uh, while they were shooting Raiders, uh, Stanley Kubrick was shooting The Shining next door and Steven Spielberg obviously invited uh, his daughter, Kubrick's daughter, to the set and she came on and she went, 
this is very cruel what you're doing with these snakes and called the RSPCA. And so they had to shut down filming for a day while they had to prove to the RSPCA that Stanley Kubrick's daughter called that the snakes were being treated well. How do you treat a snake well? I suppose not set fire to it. Not set fire to it, but make sure they're fed, make sure they're not being... They've got rest breaks. Yeah, exactly. You've got a trailer for them. (laughs) Guys, we're going to take a short snake break now. Um... That's the catering over there. Dead mice for you. Uh, Couscous for the rest of the crew. Cobra, your agent's called and yes, we can give you the extra 10%. <laughs> but in, in the old versions of the film, you could obviously see the pane of glass between Indy and the Cobra. And Spielberg, uh, again, this interview I saw from about 2014, he was saying, I just don't know how it ended up in there. Like It was quite dark when I was looking at the dailies and I just did not see it until it was too late for us to do anything about it. Yeah. And so it's sorted now, I think. Certainly mm. the version I saw, I didn't notice. Yeah. That, that... I did. I have seen that. Yeah. In an old well, I guess we all article. Did. We all yeah. Did. But it, yeah, it was one of my, it's like my first memory of like, the flaws in a film and, mm. and it made me like Raiders of the Lost Ark even more because I love it already and I was like oh but look mm. you can you can fuck up too <laughs> there's a bit in Thunderball where James Bond is in a swimming pool with sharks and you can clearly see the plastic uh, sheeting between the two it. and you're like okay I still like it though hey uh, the best scene from the snakes bit I don't know what you think is the best scene but it always got me and I don't know why is when Marion's shoe falls off mm. and the snake slithers through the open toe yeah. there's something very disturbing yeah. about that yeah, I, I'm not a fan of snakes, and I do wonder if it's because of this movie. I, I, yeah. it's, I do find some of the snake stuff really frightening when I watch it. The, the, the snake through the shoe, because it makes her look like a corpse already, that's why you don't like it, because that could only, you know, you, mm. that's, a, that's your, you know, you wouldn't move if you were dead, that's why. I, I don't know if it's that or the fact that... You don't like open-toed I shoes. I think it's that. Yeah, it I think it's that. the fact that I'm seeing an open-toed shoe, but yeah. where the toe would be, which I already find disgusting, a snake is instead. <laughs> Her pretty little feet in those lovely no, no, shoes. God, no, just just close the toe. You can have your feet. Keep them pretty. You keep them out of sight. You need to get a breeze circulating. She's in the desert. <sighs> Nonsense. Indy's not wearing open-toed sandals. No, that, he must that would stink. Be, that would be a deal breaker for me on this movie. <laughs> what if you were asked to play Indiana Jones <laughs> in open-toed sandals? Right. Okay. If anyone was asked to play, if Indiana Jones wore open-toed sandals, this would not have been a hit. Okay. Well, then you're probably right. All the evidence you need about why feet should be put away, <laughs> hidden, <laughs> hidden from sight. Um, so Marion and India are out of the cave. Um, Did you notice when they crawl out of the Well of Souls, mm. and I only noticed it this time, and this is the first time I've noticed it, there's a guard unconscious by the wall that they crawl out of. And I was like, I wonder what that is. And doing a bit of reading around it, there was a gag in there where as they crawl out, a guy just doing a bit of digging passes out he faints because he's like because they're crawling out of the well of souls a tomb and so he passes out and they went it's not funny so they cut it but his body is still there lying against the wall (laughs) yeah it sounds funny yeah i can imagine it was a bit too far yeah so there's a there's this bit i was a bit like i don't i mean it's a bit odd but they're out and then there's like a comedy strong man appears and he's like he hasn't got a top on and he looks like pat roach yeah so he's there he's just like oh brilliant i'm gonna have a fight i cannot wait to have a fight i've been waiting to have a fight all day do you not think that's the best thing about him though that he's like fantastic he's been waiting a challenge because he's like he's clearly a boxer because he puts up his dukes like a classic old school boxer yeah because there wasn't much going on in this dig. Mm. So finally, he's got a real fight on his hands. That was the bit that screwed me up as a kid, though. His mm. death. The blood yeah. against the propeller. Yeah. That's yeah. really upsetting. As much yeah. as the melting faces, I was like, there's something horrible about It's like, you know, without seeing it, you think you've seen it. Yeah. In all these, well, especially the, these two films, the henchmen get really good deaths because that propeller thing messed me up. Mm. The tem- uh, Temple of Dune, when the man gets like mashed under the roller. Pat Roach again in a slightly more uncomfortable role. <laughs> 
I think about those two deaths mm. all the time. Um, so then there's quite a long chase. And if I'm, I want to be honest, my intention did wander a little bit, like it always did over the years. It doesn't matter, but I wasn't as engaged with this chase as I would later be in Temple of Doom with the mineshaft chase, if I'm just being completely honest. The best bit is obviously where Indiana Jones <laughs> improbably drags himself back onto the truck without a mo- like not even a bit of dust on him. Mm. <laughs> like, well, I mean, the one part about this chase that I picked up on this time, uh, obviously it's our old friend from Young Sherlock Holmes, Anthony Higgins, who plays uh, the right-hand man, oh. the guy driving the other car. Okay. He's the one who Good goes... Spot. Yeah, it's uh, it's Anthony Higgins. And I just, watching it this time, I'd be like, fucking livid if I was a passenger in his car because he drives <laughs> off a cliff. And <laughs> it's sort of like, who made you the designated driver? Stay on the fucking road. You're a shit driver. Yeah. yeah, there's people flying off cliffs all over the place. I mean, it feels like this is the reason they made the movie, though, because this is the sequence that's most like the old serials. Right. Which is, I think, ironic because Steven Spielberg didn't shoot this scene. Did he not? This was a second unit job. Oh, okay. And so I feel like, isn't this why you wanted to make this movie? So yeah. you could you could do one of these? He was but, like, even um, I think it's too long. And I this can't is, be bothered. And this is for the stunt purist, isn't it? This one, though. The yeah. reason to watch this is to, you're watching. It's all, it's the opposite of what we were watching last week with the Ready Player One finale, where, you know, everything's computer generated. You're watching. This is friggin' real and super dangerous what's going on. Which is why it's incredible. The guy do, recreating the stagecoach stunt where mm-hmm. he's dragged under the truck it's like yeah, that the guy amazing. actually doing that yep. is like uh, insane uh, and it's a stuntman called uh, Terry Leonard because mm. this is before Vic Armstrong um, started doubling for Harrison Ford and he said he'd literally done that stunt six months previous mm. on the Lone Ranger movie they made in, in 1980 and um, the stagecoach ran over both of his legs oh my god so he'd only just healed up yeah it's super dangerous man it looks dangerous yeah. well that flying wing rolled over Harrison Ford's legs you know the big plane when he's having the fight with Pat oh, Roach god, yeah yeah he yeah. got trapped under the wheel oh, of that because yeah. he rolled out of the way in the wrong direction and oh my God. he got trapped under Blame it. Frank Marshall. That was him uh, in the, he's the pilot oh, yeah, of that plane. yeah, he's in the pilot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, he tells a funny, Frank Marshall's very funny. A lot of his sound bites are hilarious. He goes, he goes, yeah, Stephen just sort of went, look, we need a Nazi pilot. Would you just do that for me? Uh, it'll be like a few hours. And Frank Marshall goes, it was very hot and it was three fucking days. <laughs> Um, so now we're on a ship with Mr. Katanga. I, I would like to talk about so um, Marion because she's a woman and her man has got some cuts and bruises and she has to sort of patch him up because that's the law. But they don't shag, and I did wonder why. So was it just for the rating? But then it's so violent at the end that it can't. Have, I, I feel like that it's not for that. Like, and I wondered if you knew. Was like, it just was it just for a joke? Just for the joke that he's fallen asleep? Yeah, I mean it's funny, but oh, haven't we been waiting for this moment? I guess so, but also I do sometimes moan about this on this podcast. It's not the time. It's not the time, love. It's not the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, the submarine from Das Boot turns up. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know that till till this this uh, this watch. So yeah, yeah, they were shooting shooting around the corner. Yep. Um and then we're off to an island. Um the so there's loads of so do you remember last week? Was it last week when we did Minority Report and I was mourning about the comedy that I thought didn't work. And I think I think what we said was true, that that was meant to be a noir and so the comedy just makes it feel really bumpy. And one of us said if it was in Indiana Jones, like you'd think it was hilarious. Hmm. And I think this... Oh, the burgers. The burger thing, which yep. I just really, really hated. Yep. Um, I think some of the comedy touches in th- this scene, like when Indiana Jones steals a uniform off a guard, but it's too small for him. Uh-huh. As a child, you're just like, oh, fuck, that's funny. Yeah. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think... 
it totally works here because it is a movie for kids. And I know that you, Chris Tilly, talk a lot about they don't make them like this anymore because your memories of this film are being terrified, but also like, oh, that was so mm. much fun. I think the Marvel guys do a good job of, of trying to recreate the thrills and the comedy in the same sequences sometimes. But um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I, I was surprised properly analysing it on this watch, just how much slapstick there is, yeah. how much of it is straight out of a cartoon. Yeah. Um, and it, it just works, doesn't it? As you yeah. said, it's different to Bond. Yes. Um, but Bond is a character I can't really relate to. And I can't relate to Han Solo. He's just too cool. Mm -hmm. I relate to Luke Skywalker. But here you can relate to Indy because he is bumbling through life. Yes. And he, he loses. He loses all the time. Loses all the time. That's as he says, I'm making it up as I go along. Yeah. 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 Um, my one thing as a kid that I, I remember watching it this time and going, yeah, I still haven't really resolved that. And it was a real problem for me as a kid. When he gets off the boat and onto the German submarine, mm. yeah. I have a real problem with it's a submarine. Yeah. A, you can't sneak onto a submarine. It is going to dive before it gets to the island. Mm -hmm. So what does he do? Where is he? he? he so they no, they shot it. They shot it and you can watch the behind the scenes. Um, It doesn't dive. It never uh. dives. And he wraps his, uh, his um, uh, bullwhip around the periscope. And he just gets dragged along until they reach the island because it's not it's not that far. Okay. And but they cut it out because it did look it did look a bit silly. So it would, it would look a bit. Dumb. It sounds stupid. <laughs> I'm glad they cut it out, but at the same time, it left me going. Well, that's a bit weird. How's he? What's he going to do on that submarine? Well, now you know, and uh, it's not very satisfying. <laughs> rubbish. I wish I'd not known. Sometimes pulling back the curtain can lead to disappointment. Exactly. And, and eventually, so we're into the last section. So the art is opened. Wait. Wait. What? Fly in Belloc's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> yeah. It's just like uh, Pauline Kael, the New York uh, yeah. critic, was like, "There is a man committed to the he art of acting, yeah, because he does not flinch." Yeah, Pauline Kael did not like this movie, and the villain in Willow, made by George Lucas, is called General Kale. <laughs> no coincidence. But she did love Temple of Doom. She went against the grain for that one. Um, but Spielberg says, I've inspected those frames the way some people have inspected the Sabrudid film, and I'm telling you, that fly did not suddenly jump into the fifth dimension. It went into Paul Freeman's mouth, and Paul Freeman was so absorbed, he didn't realise he'd swallowed the bugger. Yeah, it just makes no sense. Like, you, he would know. You would know. You can't be so absorbed. You don't know a fly's gone in your mouth. Surely? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not an actor. I was... I'm not talking about being an actor. Just I'm talking about being a person with an open mouth. <laughs> right. You say that. So I was once interviewing Jamie Foxx on a TV show and we watched the interview back. And as I'm asking him a question and he's listening. A fox climbed into his mouth. <laughs> a fly enters his mouth. And flies back out again in about 15 seconds. Okay. So a fly went into his mouth and then exited his mouth while he was listening to me talk. And do you think he was That's aware? That's how absorbing I am. <laughs> I do you think say. he was aware? No, he doesn't flip. All right, I take it back. Then. So he just had a little holiday in his mouth for 15 seconds. 15 seconds, checked it out. Sorry enough. And mm -hmm. also, that means you were talking for 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. he in, an interview. in an interview. In an interview, yeah. With someone else. Massive star. Yeah, as we know, I'm not as but concise as I could <laughs> be. Let's talk about me. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's desperate to spit his fucking fly out. <laughs> Jamie Fox, Fox, Alex. That's got an X in it. Me. <laughs> Um, so the arc being opened, uh, full disclosure, I loved this mostly because it looks a bit like when the containment chamber shut it off in Ghostbusters. Is Agreed. Over. I've, I've written down very, I'd never connected the two, but it's very Ghostbusters. Yeah. Those visuals. Yeah. Ditto uh, when he's uh, when he uh, when they're first digging up the ark as well uh, from the well of souls and the sky looks a lot like the sky of a yes. Dana's apartment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
So I loved it for that straight away. I was like, fucking God. I wrote down awesome. Ghostbusters. So, yep. But I tell you what, I mean, I know no one likes it when I bang on about scripts, but I think you might, so you're Lawrence Kasdan, you've got to write, the arc is opened, right? And you have to sell the shit out of that and you have to make it the most amazing, mind-blowing thing in the world. Probably on the full understanding that what's going to happen in the real world is like a light is going <laughs> to go on. So some of the writing is just astonishing. Let me just read you some t- like little bits, okay? Inside the Ark of the Covenant, this is like an action section. Inside the Ark of the Covenant is a preview of the end of the world. I mean, that's great because that's cheeky because it's like, who knows what that looks like? <laughs> Set designer, can you do the <laughs> preview of the end of the world? A light so bright, a power so fearsome, a charge so jolting. There is nothing in our world to compare to it. Oh, I love the that. He's yeah. taking the piss. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> because what does it look like? Who knows? But it's like such a... I mean, do you think that what you see on screen matches up to that description? Well, a lot of it was in the story conference. Uh, George Lucas says they open the crate up, um, uh, this lightning bolt or electrical charge, the whole thing becomes like kinetic energy with lightning arcs. It's very quick, like lightning rod. It attracts static electricity and they all get fried. I mean, that's kind of what you end up seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So he knew in his head, and I'm sure he got it over to Kasdan. And then, and on the set, you can watch Spielberg um, directing it. And he's saying to them, to, to those actors playing the Nazis who get killed, like, really go over the top. I know you feel stupid right now. I'm going to make you look amazing okay. on screen. <laughs> yeah, because I think uh, he was deciding what special effects he wanted. And the team, the special effects team were like, well, we could have uh, ghosts or we could have fire or we could have lightning. And Spielberg goes, give me all three. Brilliant. But Spielberg, uh, Spielberg also wanted them to blow up the base uh, to, for Indy to succeed as well as getting the Ark of the Covenant he also blows up the Nazis mm. and Lucas pushed back on that said it's too much like a, the end of a James Bond movie going to an island building, yes. blowing up the base and Spielberg said back to him that's a good thing because every James Bond movie makes money Right, okay. But ultimately, Lucas won that and he, he, he got his way. Yeah, I have read a version where Marion and Indiana Jones are on a boat powering away and it blows up behind them. Like, classic Bond kind of thing. Mm. Um, so obviously, everybody's face melts. Uh, in the script, Belloc's death is described as if a death's head can smile and look satisfied, that is how Belloc's incandescent face would be described. That's not what he looks like at the end. He looks absolutely fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he, does. he had to hold that grimace of death for a long time so that they could create a you know a, a version of his mm. his head to blow up and it looked miserable him sitting in that chair. It's, well, that's interesting because it's a big change because the, in the in the, the you know an early script Belloc in the instant of his destruction has experienced some kind of sublime transcendental knowledge like when we did Sunshine. Mm. You remember I yeah. can't remember the name of the character but when he sees what the thing yeah. he's always wanted to see mm. and he's like figured things out. Do, do you think if this was women opening it up they would see a beautiful man? Do you think the woman was because it was men opening it up? I just couldn't figure out why it was a a lady's visage. Uh, You should be just genderless, a genderless Mm, ghost. But it it was a beautiful woman and he even says it's beautiful. Do you not think it's because you think of angels quintessentially as women? I don't know. Oh, I, well, all the pictures in the hymn book I yank, used to sing from at the Church of England Primary School were of women angels, so <laughs> a lot of don't blame me. A lot of blame the church. So men can't become angels? Of course they can. Okay, hey, Gabriel's they a man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, so that's devil. so fucking typical. All the bit part players are women, but your top angel... Main guy. And Satan. <laughs> and, lead, and Satan. Leading angel. Yeah. <laughs> Hero and villain. God as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Indy gets paid, but the arc gets taken. What an ending. I remember hating this ending as a kid. Yeah. It really upset me. It was like, it's why is it ending on a downer? Mm. Yeah. So, so he, he hasn't clever. beaten the system. And I'm, I'm confused, though. 
why would he want exactly. that in a museum? Yeah. That seems quite dangerous. Like, yeah. I, f- watching it now, I'm on the side. Exactly. <laughs> so bureaucrats. you feel like Indiana Jones is wrong to be annoyed because where yeah. it goes is the best possible place yes. for it. No one should have that power. No. So bury it in this massive warehouse. Yeah. So when he's like, God damn you, you suits or whatever, and he's a bit cross with Marion and she's like, just forget about it. It does. It feels like, well, what, what were you going to do with it exactly? Yeah. yeah. I'll put it in a museum where little kids can go up to it and touch it. Pretty good, though, that it makes its comeback at the start of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's spoiler, nice. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and that's that's it. It was. Uh, is it true it was the highest grossing film of 1981? I believe so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, five Academy Awards. Big, big smash. Wow. Five Academy Awards, but it lost um, the best score. Did it? Yes. It that's lost, mental. It lost best score to Vangelis and Chariots of Fire, oh. which is a brilliant score to a film I very much like, but it ain't this. It Can ain't... you sing Chariots of Fire right now? Da, 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 da. That's a tough year, isn't it? And I think it might have lost Best Picture to Chariots of Fire. And in both instances, much as I like that film, and I know people don't like that film anymore, uh, this is just better across the board. I mean, this should have won Best Picture. That would have been so cool. Mm. Yeah, it would um, that's it. Do you want to do the bits? Let's do the bits. Cool. Um, Chris, what was your best scene? <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, really hard. Uh, I'm going to say the opening sequence because I feel like okay. that tells us everything we need to know. It's just a brilliant introduction to the character and it's so so perfectly sets up the universe, the personality, the appearance and the action and the humour and the tone and yeah, that's yeah, what about you? Nazi face melt. Without a doubt, <laughs> as a kid, it stuck with me to a degree that I, I, I cannot actually find the words to explain knowing that bit was in that movie, that even when I wasn't watching the movie, it was out there somewhere and that thing existed. It was a really transcendent experience having seen that. Yeah, mine is also Nazi face melt. Mm. It's amazing. And I was transfixed by it as a child. I was scared of it, but I wanted to see it melt. I wanted to see everything, mm. to see the gradual, and then when the eyes plop, amazing. Mm. Um, your uh, most it's a, valuable... a proper one of those proper like like watching. It, it's the definitive watching it through your hands moment because you mm-hmm. wanted to see it, but yeah. you didn't want to yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your most valuable whatever? Alex? Paul Freeman as uh, Belloc or Belosh uh, as uh, Seller calls him. I just think he's. So good, I agree with Chris. It's a shame that he had to die. I think mm. it's right that he had to die. Yeah, I was really thinking about the ending and how you could do it without him dying. And obviously they could have figured out a way, but it does feel like the right end thing. It does, it does. But nevertheless, he's just, he's there's something about him. There's so much depth to that character. It's, it kind of puzzles me a bit that Paul Freeman, at least on my radar, uh, you know, watching films, wasn't bigger off the back no, of this. I mean, no. Edgar used him in uh, Hot Fuzz. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Reverend Shooter. But you know that we're dealing with the occult, we're dealing with, you know, ghosts. They could bring him back. They could yet bring him back. Okay. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. What, what's yours? I mean, I've written down Nazi Monkey, but I feel like that <laughs> is a little silly. Um, Acting-wise, I'm going with Ronald Lacey just for how much mm. he frightened me as a kid. Yeah. But I also, I always like to do an unsung hero here and I'm going to go for Mickey Moore because he is the second unit director who directed that scene that you thought was too long mm-hmm. and didn't love. But I just think it's a brilliant chase scene, brilliant stunts, brilliant action. And so he should get the credit because Spielberg gets the credit for all this, but he's the one that went and directed that. Okay. Sharing MVW with Nazi Monkey. He's going to be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mine is The Score by John Williams. Yeah, it's quite right. I don't know um, where when I first heard it, but I sing this at least once a week and I have for my whole life. <laughs> it's Always. A, it really, I, I, you're absolutely right. It's just an incredible piece of music that, you know, there aren't many. You think of great movie scores, you're like, oh, I like that score. But there's like this uh, I mean, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park uh, I was going to say, it's mainly John Williams scores yes. that you're talking yeah, about yeah. here. You 100%. know, much as I love Hans Zimmer, I'm not coming out humming his, his uh, scores all that often. Whereas with Williams, every single one is iconic and you can't imagine the film it comes from without the music yeah it's, if someone says can you do swashbuckling daring do and he's like yeah I can mm-hmm. <laughs> then he did it's amazing it is it really is amazing maybe Danny Elfman's Batman score and I think it's Paul Fleischman's Goonies Fratelli Chase uh, two that come close like them but I, I don't think they're in the same league as, as the boy right. Williams and it. you've got to add E.T. and Superman to the list yep. and Star Wars he did them all yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Chris, what would you change? So I said, don't kill Belloc. I said, change that thing with Marion. Um, you know, thing? make, make it, make, <laughs> make it, make it, um, you know, that he he left her over an antiquity rather than um, he had sex with her when she was. When she was jailbait. But hey, she came on to him, yeah? Which is always how it happened. So she I, knew what she was she doing. She knew what she was doing. An actual line from the film. <laughs> um, so how did Indiana Jones know not, not to look? Yes, good point. Um, I, I just feel like we needed that explained and seeded earlier in the film. Marcus could have said it. Salah could have said it. It could be something he finds or it could have been in that bloody speech on the blackboard. No, <laughs> but you see, this is uh, that's a really interesting point. I think it's because there were a couple of moments in this which paint Indy as having some kind of special ability that we don't need to be told. It's just that he has this superpower it's there's a little moment earlier where the ship's engines have stopped and marion's still fast asleep and indy is immediately awake knowing that the ship's engines have stopped and it sort of paints this idea that he's aware of little things like that and what they might mean whereas she's just oblivious to it because she doesn't have his supernatural ability he's mm. waking up for a shag no, yeah i'm not, I'm not yeah. buying it um what would you no you yeah what would you do Cabin sex gets get his end away in there. Uh, no, it is. It, it fundamentally has to be. I cannot think of anything else other than changing the Marion indie bit. Like, you don't need to, like, obviously, forget the conversation that they had off screen. Change that dialogue in the bar so it doesn't reference it. Because I watched it this time with that, like, front and centre of my mind. And when she looks at him in a kind of loving way, you're mm. like, mm, no, <laughs> because of what happened. Yeah. So... It ruins, ruins a lot of their relationship for me. Yeah. And what can I say, what I don't think needs to be changed is what people have criticised. I think it was on Big Bang Theory. Indy is inconsequential to the finale of this film. I don't think it matters. I don't think you notice it. And I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it needs to be changed. Yeah, I want to address taken... that because I'm sure we'll get messages about yeah. it because people seem to say, oh, the ending doesn't really work. But I, I mean, at Spielberg, I saw him being asked about it. He said, um, that's not right. <laughs> that's that's a little bit backwards way of looking at it, that's but um, but right. I think it works absolutely fine. We just get this spectacular finale rather than the hero doing something finale. Yeah, it beefs. Up. It's a shame that Bella does die then because it beefs up his character because he's like, I will bring you along for the ride because I respect you enough to let you see what's about to happen. Mm. But you can't have what's about to happen. Mm. But also, him telling Marion not to look is him saving the girl by yeah. instructing her not to look. Mm-hmm. He is being proactive in saving her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my change is. Uh, give Indiana Jones a different loss rather than the loss of he's lost the arc to the hangar to the warehouse right mm. so it still have a bittersweet ending so when Belloc dies he should take with him something that Indiana Jones wanted it's some magical ghost relic or whatever mm. but because Belloc's dead it's gone forever and he wanted that thing right mm. so he's lost but 
you don't so that when the Ark gets taken into the warehouse, he's not like, oh, damn it, because he, he should have wanted that all along because that's the correct thing to want. So you shouldn't want that Ark in a museum. You should want it in a warehouse. But he needs to have a loss because he's that sort of character. So just um, displace the loss somewhere else. Okay. I really thought about that because it's hard to pick a change because, you know, to be honest, probably, probably the, the, the relationship. Yeah, yeah. That's the child sex. Now you've said it like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The actually. Statutory I mean, rape. Uh, yeah. Statutory rape. Yeah. Oh, wait, hang on. I might still have it here. All right. I feel like we've talked about it enough, though, <laughs> considering it's a couple of lines in the movie. <laughs> we've really gone to town with this. This is uh, Willard Hoik. Uh, Willard Hoik. Um, writer of Temple of Doom, which we're doing on Thursday, uh, he talks about Indiana Jones. He's like, the thing about the first one that's so odd, when we first saw it, we said, George, are you implying that he raped this girl? <laughs> what was she, 13 or something? It was so weird. <laughs> right, can we stop talking about it? Let's stop talking about it. We're, we're out, we're done. Chris, do you want to do a quiz then? Yeah. We get some Hindi in Thursday's indie movie, Temple of Doom. Uh, so that has influenced today's quiz as several beloved films had their titles changed for that market. So I'm going to give you the translation of the Hindi title and I want you to tell me what the film was originally called in English. I'm going to explain. So, for example, if I said Great War, mm -hmm. that was what they changed the title of Clash of the Titans to. Okay. Oh, so I'm going to give you the title and hopefully you can work out what the film is. Yeah. We're starting off with Cool Cook. Uh, hot shots. No. Um, Ratatouille. Correct. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> see, you see, the clues in the title. Uh, brave, beautiful lady. Pretty woman. No, braver than that. Uh, brave. No. Um, Frozen. Erin Brockovich. No, they've made a couple of live-action films about this very brave, very Lara beautiful Croft. lady. Pocahontas. Yeah, correct. Give that to Tomb Raider. <laughs> Tomb Raider, exactly. Uh, Mission: Osama bin Laden. Oh, thingy. Zero dot thirty. Yeah, that. <laughs> that. That is one for Alex. Yes. Um, blue naughty. <laughs> uh, blue velvet. <laughs> no. Uh, pink. What's blue and naughty? It's the Smurfs. Correct. Yay! <laughs> You're good at this, Vicky. <laughs> Fear Shop. Little Shop of Horrors. Nope. This is a Pixar movie. A Monsters Inc. Correct, oh. Alex. Comeback trail. Sea of Death. Jaws. Nope, but it is a film Open we have water. done on the podcast. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, Waterworld. Nope. Um, oh, uh, Sea of Death. We all very much enjoyed this film. Oh, um, oh, oh fuck's sake. Deep Blue Sea. Correct. Oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and the final one, uh, Swing of Death. And so I'll give you a clue. This is the third part of a horror franchise. Pit in the Pendulum. Nope, but... Yeah. Saw 3. No, the other one. Kind Hostel of like that. Three. No, yeah, yeah, that one is like that. <laughs> uh, where sort of death is coming after these people. Oh, Final Destination oh, yeah, 3. Yeah. Correct, Alex. Vicky wins for three. Oh, oh, fuck. Tense. Very tense. Very tense. Tense. Right then, uh, that's the quiz. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Love it. Next week, we are going to be doing Last Crusade and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. If you haven't watched them yet, get your viewing in. But before then, we are back on Thursday with Temple of Doom. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and indeed review it. Subscribe, subscribe, rate, and review us if you have the time. It's a great help on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods and follow us on Twitter at ClashPod and Instagram at ClashPod. Back on Thursday. Bye-bye. <laughs> 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 this was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 
Right then, let's do this. Okay. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.